This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast on a Wednesday. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. We have left the draft behind us, and we are going to talk about three Browns topics, but one of them is draft-centric. But we're going to start with Deshaun Watson and Mary Kay. There was a development uh, in his civil trials. Of course, there are two civil trials still outstanding. Uh, attorney Tony Busby, who represents one of the women whose trial is still, um, whose case is still outstanding, Lauren Baxley, has asked for a date for that trial. Um, can you kind of fill us in where things stand on, on that right now? Yeah, I mean, Lauren Baxley has stuck to her guns on this. Uh, she has refused to settle with Deshaun like 23 of Tony Busby's other clients have done. One dropped their suit. Um, but 23 of them settled. Lauren Baxley is the lone holdout of Tony Busby's clients. Uh, she wrote um, back in, I can't remember what, it was last year sometime. Uh, she it, wrote, it was like right, it was like right after the settlement or kind of oh, right yeah. around the settlement. Yeah. Um, so she wrote that um, on the Daily Beast or in the Daily Beast, she wrote that, uh, you know, he had not shown the proper remorse. He wasn't admitting any wrongdoing and she wanted to move forward uh, and, you know, and, and really take this thing to trial. And Tony Busby is more than willing to do that. He says he's proud of her for this and he is pushing forward on this. So I don't know if anything in the 11th hour will change, but as of right now, Tony Busby is trying to see to it uh, that Deshaun Watson is on trial for uh, for what Lauren Baxley has accused him of, uh, which is sexual misconduct in this case. So um, during massage appointments, it's, it's you know in the same grouping of all of the rest of them. So that's where it stands. He's filed a motion to get um, to get the trial on the docket, and uh, you know we'll have to see where where it all goes from here. Yeah. And, and you mentioned this. This is the last client represented by Tony Busby. The other outstanding uh, case is represented by another attorney and it was filed uh, during the season. But this is le- the last of kind of the original groupings. Um, Ashley, we know that this isn't, you know, whatever happens in this trial isn't going to have an effect on Deshaun Watson's on-field status. The NFL has, has made that pretty clear. It all kind of falls under that 11-game suspension that they all agreed to. But there is also an element of this just being another, I mean, I hate to boil it down to this, but this is another distraction now in, in an off season where there really weren't supposed to be any distractions anymore. 
Yeah, so I think that the first part of what you said, first of all, is a really important differentiation to make. Part of the settlement with Deshaun Watson and the league when they agreed to the 11-game suspension was that he would not be punished any further for similar accusations that occurred in a similar time period as the previous accusations that led to the initial suspension and and all of that, the initial investigation by the league. So that's number one. But yes, I mean, I do think there is an element to that, right? Like this was kind of supposed to be Deshaun Watson's first normal quote unquote season in Cleveland, his first normal off season as well. Um, and right now, like, like you said, at the very least it's in the news. I'm sure Deshaun is going to get one or two questions about it when we talk to him next as a, as a Cleveland press corps. Um, what he'll say about that, probably not much because that's what has been the kind of status quo for him with his legal issues. But yeah, you're right. It's like we kind of all, you know, have to remember that it's going to be something that is going to kind of come up the next time he's out there and it's going to be hanging out there uh, throughout this offseason now. Yeah, Mary Kay, just that element of it, this idea that, you know, I'm sure the organization and I'm sure Deshaun himself was hoping that all of this would be behind him and they could start to move forward and focus on football. Uh, But now this is this is back, at least until there's some resolution here, whether they actually do settle, whether it goes to trial. And, and of course, whatever they find in the trial, that that's a whole, you know, that could open up a whole nother set of distractions. But um, it it's just this is back. This is still hanging over this whole situation. Yeah. And one of the interesting things that uh, that I was thinking about yesterday when I was writing this was the fact that uh, when Lauren Baxley did write about this, she, you know, she said that one of the, the reasons why she refused to settle was because he had not gotten substantive treatment and he had not done anything to undergo that intensive treatment program. And she felt that uh, therefore he would be liable to repeat the actions that she accuses him of. Um, since that time, however, he has served an 11 game suspension. He's paid a $5 million fine and he has undergone extensive treatment by the NFL. Now, does this mean that if they open it back up, if Rusty Harden, uh, who is Deshaun Watson's lawyer, gets back with Tony Busby and they start to talk things through again and, you know, they go over some of the issues and some of the, uh, the rehabilitation that he and the treatment that he has undergone, you know, will that change anything? Will she be apt to settle at all? Or is she absolutely 100% opposed to doing that and wants to get him on trial uh, so that, you know, so that she has her say, so, so that she can have her day in court? Uh, so we don't know about that yet. Uh, but I think that's, you know, one of the things that stood out to me was that, um, you know, the treatment piece was really kind of uh, the thing that was bothering her seemingly the most or one of the things. So we'll see what impact that has going forward. But yes, it is a, um, you know, it, it is out there in the news again. And, you know, Deshaun is human and it's, it's going to bother him. I mean, it just is. This stuff is going to bother him. It bothered him last year, too. Now, I mean, people will probably say, why am I worried about anything bothering him? Um, you know, what about the women? And I'm not saying that. So I let, like that's not the point I'm trying to make. I'm what I'm saying is that. This is going to impact him. I'm talking about this from a football standpoint. It will impact him if he has to be on trial and going back and forth to Houston in, in between, you know, going to practices or coming up for mini camps or even starting training camp. And will it spill over into training camp? Uh, it will impact him. 
Um, and, and again, I know that he is still involved in, in working really hard on, on getting well, staying well, being well. He said when we talked to him on April 19th that he's healthy. And I made, I've made the point. He wasn't talking about, you know, he, you know, his back or his knees or his muscles or his joints or anything like that. He was talking about being in a good, you know, in a good place from all of this stuff that has gone on with him off the field because presumably of all of the treatment and counseling he has undergone. So, um, so it is a factor. And uh, in addition to the Lauren Baxley case, as you mentioned, there's one more outstanding case. Rusty Harden has called that one an extortionist attempt. Uh, it came after all of the 23 settlements had taken place. And so they, they look at this one as, um, as you know, just an, an attempt to, to get some money out of Deshaun. So we'll have to see where that one even goes. He hasn't given his deposition in that one, or at least he hadn't as of a couple of weeks ago. He hadn't given his deposition in that one yet. I don't, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there are counter complaints against them for, um, you know, for even bringing this, you know, for even filing this suit. So uh, that one is kind of getting messy and a little bit ugly. And it could be someone that Tony Busby may have even, refused to represent. I'm not really hundred percent sure about that. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a very interesting case. And, um, and again, it's just not something that, uh, anybody wishes was happening right now. Nobody wants anybody to be in any kind of bad place because of any of these things that may have gone on. Um, and we'll just have to see how it all plays out. Yeah, I, I mean, look, the, we we do have to talk about the football side of it. <laughs> you know, obviously, um, that that's a big piece of this. So, um, you know, when we mention all of that stuff, you know, we're not trying to be insensitive or anything like that. But that that is a part of this whole discussion too, um, with all of this. The other thing, Mary Kay, when you mentioned the the treatment, is uh, the the remorse side of it, which obviously it's tricky for Deshaun because he keeps saying he doesn't think he did anything wrong. So how can, how can you be remorseful for that? But, you know, I remember leading up to the settlement, there was sort of a turn in how he talked about things and he did seem a little bit remorseful. And he did that. He did that interview with the in-house media and, um, you know, he didn't talk to us at all, but he did an in-house interview and he sounded at least a little more remorseful than he had sounded in the past. But then, the settlement comes down and we have that press conference with him and, and the Haslam's and Andrew Barry and his tone kind of changed back to not being super remorseful or, or being just more vague as to who he was apologizing to and, and all of that. So I, you know, I think that's part of it too. You know, if he can maybe show that the treatment has helped, if he can show a little remorse publicly, maybe that will change Lauren Baxley's stance, but you know, that's all just sort of projecting here. I mean, Ashley, when, Obviously, you were here for all of that. You know, that the remorse and the treatment are, are big elements in this, it feels like, like Mary Kay was saying. Yeah. And I mean, I think, too, at the time, I remember talking about this, like when Deshaun Watson did his little, you know, television brief, brief, brief interview before the Browns first preseason game at first. It's like everyone took it as, oh, he's showing some remorse and he's apologizing. But then watching it back, it's like I think he was just as vague then as he was when he talked to us in the press conference with Andrew and the Haslam's, like it just felt like there was that. And then ever since then, ever since that press conference with Andrew Berry and the Haslam's and Deshaun Watson, Deshaun has not 
really address the legal issues. That's kind of like his standard answer, right? It's always, I'll let my legal team handle that. Or when it comes to the treatment, you know, that it's private and they aren't going to talk about it. And no one else in the organization really will offer insight about it. I know Mary Kay and I touched on that after the owners meetings and why that is. So I don't know, like, if we've really ever quite seen a change, like the only change to me that's happened is he went from being vague about it to just flat out not answering those kind of questions. And I'll just note here, just remember the Browns chose all of this. So any distractions, anything that gets in the way of them having success, they, they chose to take all of this on. And as of now, they've gone seven and 10 once because of it. So um, we'll, there's a lot, a lot of time left with Deshaun Watson, but um, this this looks like it's setting up as just another. This could be another distraction that they just don't need as as they try to go and win a Super Bowl. Um, all right, Anthony Walker and the linebackers. Let's switch to football here. Something much easier to discuss. Ashley, you went to uh, an event this week. Um, it was the girls' high school flag football championships that the Browns hosted. You got a chance to talk to various Browns players, Craig Newsom, Anthony Walker. Tell us what Anthony Walker had to say to you. Yeah, so I think for me, like the biggest, the most interesting parts about that interview with Anthony was number one, like why he ended up coming back to Cleveland, and number two, just kind of hearing his initial thoughts about Jim Schwartz and this new defense, especially because we know he's one of the key communicators there. He's been a green sticker guy, all that stuff. So I'll start with the coming back to Cleveland portion first. And it was interesting because we know he went on a visit to the Washington commanders like two days before he agreed on a one-year deal to come back to Cleveland. So I asked him like, oh, was that, were you thinking about trying to link back up with Jacoby Brissett, who on the first day of free agency signed a deal uh, with the commanders. And they are two of the best friends that you will find in the NFL. They go back, they overlapped with the Indianapolis Colts for about three years. Um, That's kind of where their friendship started. Jacoby was a huge person that Anthony Walker leaned on as he was coming back, you know, from that, uh, ruptured tendon in his knee this past season and through the off season, like they really are very, very good friends. And Anthony said, you know, it, that was kind of the plan in him taking that visit was a chance to once again, be on a team with Jacoby Brissett. Um, he wouldn't get into specifics about why it didn't happen. Like if it was a money thing or he felt like his playing time in Cleveland would be better, because I think that's the thing with Anthony post injury. And he talks about this, his perspective has really changed in that he just wants to go somewhere where he thinks he can play. And I think the fact that he thinks this Jim Schwartz defense is going to look different, he thinks he can play here still. Um, And I think that was a big part, even though that friendship with Jacoby, he admitted, did have a lot of influence in him even taking that visit with Washington. Mary Kay, Anthony Walker, um, you know, I thought his first year here, he he really, he did a nice job. He kind of established himself as a leader and, and he did the things he was supposed to do. And then last year before the injury, I was really impressed with him. Like, my expectations weren't super high. I mean, you bring him back on a one-year deal, you know, you see what he can do. It looked like, I mean, they seemed like they wanted Jacob Phillips to win that job. He ends up winning the job and he was playing really well in those two games and three quarters before he got hurt against Pittsburgh. I, I was just really impressed by all things Anthony Walker last year. Yeah, he had his sea legs in this defense. He really knew exactly where he needed to be, when he needed to be there. Uh, he had all of the uh, leadership skills and qualities that you want for that position. Uh, he was really holding it down back there, you know, really calling the shots on that defense. And uh, 
And it was pretty big loss when he, uh, when he suffered that injury, that torn quad, which that's a really tough thing to come back from. You have to commend him for, uh, you know, even thinking about being able to be ready to play uh, this season or to be ready to practice in training camp, because that's a, that's a tough, tough uh, injury. Basically, uh, you know, it's the, the, the quad sort of attaches the, you know, the knee uh, to the, the front top of the knee to the bottom of the knee. And, you know, when it blows, like you're <laughs> like the hinge is gone on your, you know, on your knee and it takes a while to, to build that back. So, you know, it's a long, hard road back. Um, but, you know, he's really good for the locker room. I mean, if you're going to lose Jacoby, uh, you would hate to lose Anthony Walker in the same year because those guys are, you know, just one in the same, just in terms of, uh, you know, who they are and, and what they do in terms of keeping guys together, keeping guys motivated, keeping things positive. They're sort of spiritual leaders on the team. They're funny. Um, so I think it's really good for this Browns defense to have Anthony Walker back this year. Ashley, sometimes when a guy's hurt, it can, first of all, they can feel really detached because they're just sort of separate. Um, they have to do their rehab stuff, especially serious injuries. Um, and you know, we're, we get a small glimpse into that locker room every day, but one of the things you'll notice is sometimes when the guy is hurt, you just don't ever see him. Like he's just never around. And I'm sure guys see him around the building every now and again, but you just don't see guys. Anthony Walker was there constantly. And Mm -hmm. even after like on game days, he was hopping around on his crutches and he was in that locker room. Good, bad, no matter the outcome. He was, he was around a lot after that injury. Yeah, I think like when he first agreed to come back here on his his current deal, I wrote a column about why I thought it was a good decision for, you know, you're installing a new defense and to lose like a key communicator like that would have been really tough. But like my lead to it is it's easy to find Anthony Walker Jr. because he's probably the one that's talking like you see that guy. He talks more than any other player on the team, whether it's on the field, on the sideline, in the locker room. He's always like kind of being a little prankster when his teammates are doing press conferences. Like I do think all of that stuff, like Mary Kay was saying, is super, super important. I think it's magnified when, number one, you lost a couple of vocal leaders because Jacoby Brissett, number one. John Johnson, three, was also a pretty vocal leader on this team the last couple of years. I think losing AWOC would would have been hard on them too. But he really made it a point to stay in Berea and stay in Cleveland while he was doing most of his rehab. He had surgery out in L.A. about two weeks after the injury um, and told me he actually had them, like, move his flight up. Like as soon as he could fly, he wanted to be on a plane to come back to Cleveland and he didn't care. Like his parents weren't here or anything like that. And he's very close with his dad. He just wanted to get back here and be around his teammates because he felt like mentally that was going to be the best place for him to be. And it sounds like he's really, really happy with his progress. And I think that's a big part of it. Have have we told the Jadavion Clowney story on the pod? I feel comfortable telling the story because well, Jadavion you know, yeah. so yeah, you know, I don't, I tend to not like <laughs> to put stuff out there that we over here in the locker room, but this was kind of funny and it just speaks to Anthony Walker. Like, and Ashley, you, you were there next to me yeah. when it happened, but uh, Fridays is like player getaway day. Like they need, they want to get out of there, even at home game, road game. Cause they got to be back in the facility on Saturday. It's an early day. They, they want to get out on Fridays. And so we're in the locker room. Players are getting ready to go. And Davian Clowney, it was a day when he was in there in a good mood. 
and Anthony Walker was just sitting at his locker across the locker room. And Jadavion just is sitting there like, what is AWOC doing here? It's Friday. He must be bored. Why is he still here? Like he was, he was joking. Yeah. It was all in, you know, tongue in cheek, but uh, it was just, I mean, Mary Kay, that's just who Anthony Walker was. Like he was, he was just always kind of there. Well, you know, Anthony Walker is a gym rat. His dad is a football coach. He loves the game. Uh, he is all about the game. And uh, Kevin Stefanski several times has basically said, when you're ready to coach, I'm hiring you. You know, you need to be a coach in the NFL when, whenever you're ready. And I believe that Anthony Walker will be that. And that's one of the reasons why he is so good for this football team, because he is like a coach on the field. He is like a coach in practices. And um, if you guys remember, I'm sure he's done this here too, but uh, the thing that he was known for in Indianapolis was uh, distributing all of his very copious notes on the opponent to his teammates. And, uh, you know, that's invaluable information. So he does a lot of studying of film. He really understands the game. He understands everybody else's position. So it's very easy for him to get everybody lined up properly. And uh, I think that some of the some of the communication stuff that happened, uh, you know, early on in the season happened after he was gone and they were trying to feel their way through the green sticker thing and who was calling the the plays and the shots back there. Uh, so that's what he brings to the table. He, he's a gym rat who someday will be a head coach. Okay, let's take a break. And we got one more topic to talk about here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast here on a Wednesday. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. So an interesting story uh, pops up today. Mary Kay about DeWan Jones, who the Browns drafted in the fourth round. There's a lot of mystery around uh, why he fell, what happened. Um, you know, if, if folks haven't listened, go back and listen to our Saturday pod after the draft. Doug, Doug Maurice talked a little bit about DeWan Jones and uh, there were issues with the draft process and his pro and Ohio state's pro day, just lots of stuff like that. But also there was a report that he was telling teams that he wanted to play in the NBA. Now he very quickly quote tweeted that report from, it was, it was Dov Kleiman who tweeted it out. He was aggregating some other folks, um, including Albert Breer. He quote tweeted that and basically debunked it. Um, so Mary Kay, I guess, Sort of like with the other stuff we talked about. Where are we at with this story right now as, as we're recording? Well, as we are recording this on Wednesday, I have been looking into it. I'm going to be writing about it, um, you know, basically from the standpoint of Dewan Jones refuting these reports. But, I mean, we have to be honest about the fact that you don't drop from potentially the first or second round to the fourth round for absolutely nothing. Okay. I mean, that doesn't happen for no reason at all. So, you know, there could be a little bit of smoke where there's fire here. Um, but the thing to remember about the Cleveland Browns and Dewan Jones right now is the fact that uh, they drafted him in the fourth round. They didn't draft him in the first round. They didn't use the number 10 overall pick on him like they did Jedrick Wills Jr., 
they didn't even use their number 42 overall pick on him, which of course they traded away uh, to get Elijah Moore. But what they did was they drafted him at, I think it was 111 in the fourth round. And that is not an absolutely horrible place to take a chance on a guy that has huge upside. I mean, absolutely huge upside. If he is this lump of clay, um, or however, however Andrew Berry described him, um, it, it had something to do with clay. I don't know if it was lump. Um, yeah, but something you know, about molding clay. You're yes, right. It was, I think. It was about yeah, molding, molding clay. clay. Yes. Yes. But, um, so if he, you know, if he is this pliable, malleable player that they can turn into something really, really good, then getting him in the fourth round is not the worst thing in the world. And if, and if you have to get him in here and see if you can't, you know, work with him on any of those things that were a concern that caused him to drop. I mean, that's what you do. You bring a guy in and you see what you can do with him. You take a chance. And in some cases it works out. In some cases it doesn't work out. Look at Perry on Winfrey right now. I mean, Perry on Winfrey came in and I'm sure they knew that he had maturity issues heading into the draft. And they continued through his rookie year. He started to get better towards the end of the year. Now, again, we're not exactly sure where all that is going. But the point is, uh, you know, you take a chance on some of these guys and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but the payoff can be big if it does. Yeah, Perry on Winfrey was an example I thought of and obviously a, a different situation now that there, there are, there's legal issues involved. But, you know, here's a guy that fell into about the range where they took Dewan Jones. He was not projected to be a first rounder, but a lot of people thought he might be a second rounder. And, you know, you do wonder, OK, so why did this guy fall? And sometimes it works, sometimes it, it doesn't. I, You know, the whole pro day thing, the the whole like draft process thing, that that's kind of... That's more head scratching to me than, you know, anything he might have said about wanting to play basketball or wanting to play in the NBA, because Ohio State's an NFL factory at this point. They're they're just one of those programs that when you go to Ohio State, you're going there to go to the NFL. That's why you go play football at Ohio State there. They recruit nationwide now. That's just what they are. So to mess that stuff up. It just seems like if you go to Ohio State, that stuff is easy. They'll do all that for you. I, I've, I obviously don't cover the Buckeyes, but it doesn't seem like other players have had that issue. But, you know, Ashley, I mean, if that's the stuff that's like getting in the way, if it's just like the guy wants to play basketball and maybe he messed up the pre-draft process, it seems like he's got a chance if he can kind of get into a system and get into some place that's really going to invest in his development. Right. And I think, too, it's like hearing Doug talk about him again and like the pre-draft process and maybe some things that went wrong with him there. Like the fact that I, I I think I agree with you, Dan, right? Like Ohio state, it should be easy. Like if you're good enough, you just show up and get the right people around you and you're should be able to go through that process correctly. Um, But he didn't have to go through like, or didn't have not necessarily have to, but did not go through the same kind of rigorous high school recruiting cycles, which was the only thing really comparable because he, again, had the basketball stuff going on. He thought he was going to play college basketball, came to it a little later than some of his teammates and some other Ohio State guys. So, like, I do think that could be a factor. But, again, I think for me, regardless of kind of his feelings, if he never expected to end up here and in the NFL and always thought he'd be a basketball player and didn't really know what was going on during the draft process, like – 
or his reasoning behind it or if he didn't, you know, care or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter as much because, like Mary Kay said, you do not take this guy with a high pick. You got him with like a mid, a lower mid-round pick. And if he turns out well and you can develop him, great. I think the Browns always have on their side that they have Bill Callahan here. I do think that is huge um, because he's a guy who's going to get everything possible out of his players and who players really like playing for. Um, So for me, just at the end of the day, given where you got him, that's like, that's what the draft is. It's like cost versus risk analysis and what you're giving up to get a guy. And the reality is they didn't have to give up much to take a chance on him in an O-line room that currently is pretty deep. So if he messes up, it's not like they need him to start right away. Mary Kay, if there was a room and, Ultimately, it's it's about what the person himself does, right? It's up to Dewan Jones to make this work. But if there was a room in that building that I had to put anyone in to be like, okay, you've got to become a pro, it would be a room with Bill Callahan and Joel Batonio and just all the, you know, Joe Thomas is probably going to be around a little bit to help out. And, and you have that, you know, he's going into the Hall of Fame this year. So obviously there's just so much there. It, that's the room that I would want him in. There's just there's pros in that room, and on top of all of that, there's Bill Callahan running that room, and he is not gonna he's not gonna let you slide. He's gonna keep working you and keep refining your technique. And in the end, it's up to Dewan Jones to make it work. But he really is gonna be set up for success. Yeah, I mean, and even Jack Conklin, even Ethan Posick, even Wyatt Teller, all of these guys can take a young guy under their wing, like they have with Jedrick Wills. I mean, we've seen them do that with, with Jed Wills. And look, it worked well enough that the Browns were able to pick up Jed Wills' fifth-year option at $14.175 million. If Jed hadn't been listening to some of these guys like Wyatt that have, you know that have worked really hard to make sure that he's working as hard as he, as hard as he needs to, then he's not getting that fifth-year option picked up. Uh, but I think everyone has kind of surrounded him with, with support, with coaching, uh, with tips. And I think it'll be the same for Dewan Jones. And like I said, uh, you know, you really don't fall for nothing. Uh, there, there are probably things that are going to have to be dealt with, but I'm sure they believe they have the infrastructure to deal with it. Right. And ultimately, like, like I said, it's, it's up to him. Do you want to be a, do you want to get that second contract? You know, if, if you get that second contract, you're set, you're good. And so it's, you know, we're going to put you in a position where you can be successful. We're going to put people around you to help you be successful, but ultimately it's, it's going to be up to you. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see where that all goes. All right. I think that's everything here um, on this podcast, three Browns topics for you. We're going to be back. We're bringing Lance and Tim back for an, I'm calling it a draft on court episode. Uh, That's going to go up sometime later on Thursday. We're going to go through all the draft picks. We're going to see what they thought uh, of each pick and we're going to see what they thought of the draft overall. So that's coming up on Thursday. I think I haven't told Mary Kay and Ashley this, so I'm going to tell them now. I think we're bringing back some succession talk on Friday. And I did ask a guest to come on, a uh, Cleveland.com long-timer. It's not Nate, but a uh, Cleveland.com long-timer, Joey Morona, who uh, covers entertainment for us. So I don't know. We'll see if he comes on or if he if he cancels on me. But we'll do some succession talk on Friday. So just get subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk feed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And also become a Football Insider subscriber, Cleveland.com slash Browns the Blue Banner at the top of the page to get info on all of that. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. 